name of God. Amen. Amen. And I hope that uh, your heart is stirred and ready for the message this morning. I'm excited that the Galvins are here with us. And um, believe it or not, the connection yet again is Neighborhood Bible Time with Brother Galvin and I. But uh, Brother Galvin has been here before. How many of you remember him? I think 2017, did you say, was it? So uh, so you said you're going to preach all the same sermons and see if they remember them. Is that right? I'm just kidding. But he's going to be here all this week. Remember, the meetings are, we start this morning. We have service tonight at 6 and then 7 p.m. from Monday through Thursday. So uh, you plan to be here for them. They're going to be singing all through this time. They've got music they're going to share here now. So, brother, I'm going to turn it over to you and your wife. And uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us today. Shine 
right. It is the it is the cross that gives us a reason of not just um, uh, confidence in knowing where we'll spend eternity, but it gives us a reason for what we do and why we do it and where uh, where we go with our lives and what we don't do and all that together comes because of um, the cross of Jesus Christ. So um, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation chapter 2. That's <coughs> where we'll go. Revelation chapter 2. And uh, let me just point out briefly, if I could... Um, you've uh, probably seen the table as you were coming in. Make sure um, before this week is out, please make sure you grab one of our prayer cards and take it and pray for us if you would. Um, these things are kind of unique in that I, it's not an original idea with me, but um, there is something you can pray for every day. And uh, so there's, uh, for, there's 31 prayer requests. This kind of gets into specifics of um, different things that you can be praying for. So it's not just, uh, you know, Lord bless the Galvins, wherever they went, you know, and, uh, but there's some specifics uh, that you can pray for on that. So grab that. There's even a spot where you can sign up and put your email address down. Um, I send out an email update once a month. And uh, just to let people know, especially if you're going to pray for us, uh, we like you to know where we're at. Um, because we always had at our home, I don't know, maybe you have one of these, we had a stack of prayer cards. And, you know, you'd, uh, my dad would have us pray through one every time we did family devotions. And, you know, sometimes you get a prayer card and, you know, we'd remember, oh, yeah, remember when they came to church this year? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wonder where they're at. No clue. You know, I hope they're still there. Lord bless them. You know, my dad would look at it and say, I hope they're still on the field. You know, they look, they must be getting old now. Or, or they'd say, oh, their kids must be all grown up by now. And so if you'd like to know about where we're at and what God's doing, um, you can put your email address down on the paper that's right by our prayer cards out on the table. And uh, I'll add your email address to our database. Then also out there, you'll see um, there's a bunch of music out there. Uh, there's a CD called Prepare. That's one that my wife and I have done. So that's um, Hannah and me singing on that one. And then there's also a couple of guys groups. If you like to hear guys sing, that's out there as well. And then there are seven volumes of the, they're called Bible Songs for Kids. And what these are, are these are simply Bible verses put to music. That's all they are. You won't find um, Jesus Loves Me or something like that on these. This is just simply seven volumes of, and each one has maybe 20 or 30 um, Bible verses on them, all put to music. It's a great way to help children uh, memorize scripture. <coughs> so if you have um, kids, grandkids uh, that are younger, elementary school age, these things are great for them. Also out there <coughs> are Bible stories for kids. And these are, these are also, this is a great gospel tool. And there are five of these, and there are, um, there are uh, Bible stories that have been dramatized and uh, with the gospel on it. So that is all out there on the table and uh, you'll notice if you go out there you'll notice there aren't any price tags and that's on purpose um, there is a box on the table all I ask is if you're going to take um, CDs home with you um, just put something in the box and you pick what you want to go in the box and uh, just let that <clears throat> uh, just let that um, kind of take advantage of it I don't know how else to put it take advantage of it um, you won't uh, <clears throat> you won't go on amazon.com very often get to the end and say, how much do you want to pay? And just fill in the box, okay? But uh, this week, when it goes to those CDs, however much you want to pay, however much you can afford to pay, just put something in the box and you take some music home with you and uh, let it be a blessing. It'll be out there all week. There's backups of everything. So um, I was joking, you know, maybe um, you want to take one home and see how much you like it, then put something in the box. I guess you can do that if you need to. Uh, but it is, uh, it's all out there and available all week. So uh, take advantage of it if you would. Um, but uh, hey, I am, I am really looking forward uh, to this week and what the Lord will hopefully do in our hearts and our lives. Um, it has been six years, so 
um, I guess we I guess we all got six years older. Um, so yeah, as you may have noticed, you know, my wife and I now we have uh, we have two boys. Um, we have Samuel and Campbell, and uh, they are four and two years old, and they are, as they say, they are all boy. Um, so if you are interested in tackling, uh, just go up and meet them and start wrestling, and they will usually they'll get right into it. Um, so they love they love football, they love tackling and all that kind of stuff, and so um, that's uh, that's our two. Two little guys. We also have a dog. We have a German Shepherd, and so she's actually out in our trailer right now. She's great, and uh, we, we really enjoy uh, enjoy our dog as well. Um, but that's uh, that's our family, and we still do the traveling. Uh, actually, when we came here six years ago, that was um, we that was about we were maybe six months into full time evangelism. And so I appreciate your pastor back then taking a risk on people like us, you know, and uh, giving us a chance because we just wanted to be able to get out and, and bring the scriptures. And so uh, we're looking forward to doing that again. And uh, I hope you will let God's word uh, work in your heart and change you. Um, folks, a part of revival meetings is we want God to show us what needs to change. The word revive means life again. It's the idea uh, that the life of Jesus Christ that um, came to live inside of us when you received Christ as your Savior, it's the idea that that life of Christ has been, uh, has been um, squelched, has been um, quenched, and just has become uh, kind of pressed down by our sinful habits or by our um, distractions with earthly things. And so a revival meeting oftentimes is a time when those things get exposed and God shows us what needs to change. And so let God show you what needs to change in these coming days, um, especially uh, as, unless you are perfect. If you are perfect, uh, you have nothing to change, and so that's uh, so you should be just fine uh, if you're perfect. But if you're not perfect, then that means God has something else He wants to show you. And God has something else He wants to change you. So you be here as often as you can. Uh, you never know what the Lord is going to show us in the coming days. Because, um, you know, as Pastor kind of alluded to, yes, we are not doing the same messages as six years ago. Um, because honestly, uh, one of the things I do is I prepare for Sunday and I wait till after Sunday. And uh, after Sunday is when I really start to think and pray about what we're going to do that week. You know, um, you're not going to get on uh, tomorrow. You're not going to get the Monday night for 2023 message. Okay. Um, so I, I pray about and I think about um, different messages, hit different themes, different passages, address different needs. So I'm just going to be praying and thinking and um, I hope that you will come, that you'll invite someone else. Can I say this? Um, plan on Thursday is our family night. Now, every night's going to be a good night, but Thursday night is going to be family night. Listen, how many of you could think right now of a person that is here, not someone who's on the East Coast, okay? How many of you can think of someone who's in our area here who you would say, I would love it if they could come and hear nothing but just a straight salvation message? They need it. They're not saying, I would love if they would come. I mean, they would come. But how many of you know someone who, who needs that? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know someone who needs that? Yeah, sure. I think we all do. So, you know what Thursday's going to be? A straight gospel message. But family night's going to be fun. We're adding some fun in it. I think there might be food afterwards. I don't know. Is that right? Is that, okay, I don't want to. I make ladies panic when I start saying, there's food afterwards. And they're like, no one told me, you know, okay, so, um, uh, so, so make sure that you come, and um, even if you say, well, I'm already saved, that's nice, show up, and, uh, and if, guess what we'll do on Thursday, it's going to be a lot of fun, on Thursday, you're probably going to be sitting here, and you're going to see someone else sitting in a pew who you don't know, and you know what we all need to do? 
Go up and say hi, okay? That's what we need to do. If you see someone who you don't know sitting in a spot that is, you know, that usually no one sits in, don't panic, okay? Don't panic. Go up to them and say hi. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, uh, my name's so-and-so. What's your name? And I'm glad you're here. And listen, folks, if that's as far as you're able to get, that's okay. Just at least let's be, um, we're going to try to make friends, hopefully, with some unsaved people. And, um, you know, and, uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, have, maybe we'll see someone get saved that night. There's going to be fun. The, the service will be different. We're going to have some fun elements that will go with it. We'll have stuff for the children. So don't be like, well, you know, you know, so, especially if someone says, well, I'd like to come, but I have little kids, tell them, bring them. Because Mr. Matt has something for the kids that night, too. And uh, we keep everyone, um, uh, we keep everyone kind of engaged and excited. It's good for children, good for teenagers, good for adults. I've even seen some adults who are just like, who kind of sit there and they don't look like they're having a good time all week. I see them crack a smile on family night. It's great. So, uh, uh, so please um, be sure that you, uh, especially if you're going to invite to any night, tell people you've got to come sit with me on Thursday night. It's going to, there's going to be some fun. There's going to be some food and we're going to have a great Bible message. Okay. So, um, so be, um, be thinking towards those things uh, in the coming days. Okay. All right. Well, if you haven't found Revelation 2, it's too late. Uh, we're going to be moving ahead. So uh, we're going to be moving right on into it. Uh, I was hoping that would give you enough time to turn there and find it. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. And it's going to be a passage of scripture that may be familiar to some of you. Uh, but let's go ahead and we'll read it and then we'll pray and we'll jump into it. Okay. Revelation chapter 2. And verse number one says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles, and are not. Thou hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Repent, do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. For this thou hast, and thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray, then we'll jump into it. Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you for just a chance to, do, to worship and to think on you. I pray that our worship would continue here in these moments and that we would offer the sacrifice of a broken and contrite spirit um, in these uh, in these moments that we would be willing to change anything that you show us that needs to change i pray this in jesus name amen <coughs> i hope you'll excuse me i've got a little bit of a little bit of a hacking going on i'm not sick so just let you know, I'm not sick. It's just um, uh, crazy Michael over here on the end. You all probably know him. We had a lot of games last night. We're out in the, uh, I, I say crazy Michael. I run the same kind of games. It's just it's fun to get to be the one that watches everyone else run. I was out there last night playing with the game, with the games with the teenagers in the cold air. So, uh, you know, I'm um, 
for the first time, I'm starting to offer adult excuses, okay? I was breathing in the cold air, and now my voice is not good, okay? You know, there was a time when that was never an excuse. You know, oh, the cold air, who cares? <coughs> but now, yeah, so I'm not sick. I'm just, uh, yeah, it's his fault, okay? All right, so, um, so Revelation chapter 2. One of the things, of course, as we think about Revelation is uh, Revelation is exciting because it's, uh, it's the book that probably tells us the most about last things. What is to come and what's God's plan? You know, uh, uh, it's, even, as much as we uh, enjoy all that God has shown us, what he's done, what he is doing, there's just a natural part of us that just kind of enjoys that. What's coming next? What's God? What, what are the details of what's God, what God is going to do next? But you know... <coughs> Before, <coughs> before God gets into those things, he takes time in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 to address some local churches in the European Asia area, some churches that had different needs, and uh, addresses these things before he goes into, uh, into a lot of the, um, the last things, the, the doctrine of last things in Revelation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the churches here uh, this morning, and it's the church at a place called Ephesus. You've got a Bible that uh, one of the um, books in the Bible is the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is written to the people who are at the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a, uh, if you want to talk about a big city, Ephesus was a large city, maybe not by our standards uh, today in our modern times, but it was at one point, uh, it was located in uh, modern day western Turkey, and it was the capital city of Asia Minor, which lets you know this is a place where there was a lot going on. It was actually, it was known as the gateway to the Orient. If you were um, Greek or if you were Roman and you were um, on trade routes that were going east into uh, Eastern Asia and into the Orient to do trading, you would come through Ephesus. It was a very, uh, it was a major place. It was a place that had um, some, um, had a major commercial port. Uh, it was a place where they had, they had, uh, they had their own uh, league of games. You've heard probably of the Olympic Games. Well, they had almost like a separate league called the Pan-Ionian Games. It was like having a league of games uh, that rivaled uh, the Greek Olympics. Uh, it was a place where there were major highways that came through. And, you know, sometimes we think about places in the past. And we imagine them, of course, being pagan because there was really very little influence of Jesus Christ there until Paul comes into this city. And uh, usually we think pagan. Oh, well, yeah, well, they don't have any religion. Actually, people of Ephesus had plenty of religion. It just was not the right one. Uh, they were very much into worshiping. They're, uh, maybe you remember from, Act, from the book of Acts, remember when they were chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians? Remember that? When there was that riot that was going on in Acts 19, and, and uh, they were shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians? Diana was, uh, was probably the, the main god, that goddess that was worshipped there at the city of Ephesus, and there was a massive temple in Ephesus that was dedicated to the goddess Diana. It was, uh, it was over, uh, over a football field long. It was actually in its time period, right for this, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. So this thing was impressive. This was not just, um, you know, uh, a few guys worked, took like three months off work and just worked on the temple so that someone would have somewhere to worship. This was a big deal. And I, I think it was annually 
that this temple could bring in as many as half a million people from all over the world. They'd come there to worship Diana. And I noticed also as I was reading, they would not only come to worship Diana, but this the temple was also the place where they could come to purchase idols that they could take back home with them. I mean, someone there was thinking they put a gift shop <laughs> in the temple of Diana because, hey, everyone's coming from around the world. Might as well make some money off them, you know? And so they're buying idols and uh, it was a wicked place where there was temple prostitution that would go on. Uh, it was a place where there was great amounts of money. Uh, so this is the city where God started a church. God started the, the, um, uh, the church there at Ephesus. And so where we are in the book of Revelation, you've got to remember, Paul's ministry is going on in the, uh, in the 50s, I think maybe in the 40s AD as well. And so he's having this ministry there in Ephesus. And when the book of Revelation is written, we're into the 90s AD. We're almost, uh, we're almost up to the year 100 AD. And so folks, kind of keep this in your mind. It's been 50 years since the church has been established. Uh, how long has this church been here? Does anyone know? What is it? Started in 59. Who does math? So that's 50, 60, 63, 4, 64 years, something like that. Okay, so just imagine, okay, you're a little bit, can I say this? Community Bible Church would not have been that much older than the church at Ephesus. You right now, not much older than the church at Ephesus. And so church has been around for about 50 years. And so Jesus, though, takes time here in Revelation 2 to bring a very important message to this long-standing church. And so what does he say? Well, first, I want you to see Christ's characteristic. What does Jesus do? You know, it's kind of interesting that um, what Jesus does is to each of these churches, he emphasizes a characteristic about himself to the church. It's kind of like, um, like let's just say this. Um, yesterday, uh, you know what's probably a very important characteristic of, of God we want to remember is that he's the God of all comfort. And that he is the God of, of mercy. He does not leave his children. And for lack of a better way to put it, he does not leave his children in the ground. They rise again and our soul spends eternity with God if we know Jesus as our Savior. That's a precious thing. Those are, the, those are characteristics of God that we enjoy thinking on on days like yesterday. You know, on days like yesterday, we don't focus on so much on God's character that he's got to punish the wicked. You know, we don't usually talk about that a whole lot uh, in such a setting. Why? It's like one true one day, one not true the other day. No, 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 no. The idea is for certain times and certain places, certain characteristics of God are important ones to focus on. And so he says, okay, uh, he says, Church of Ephesus, I want to uh, introduce you to my an important characteristic. What does he say? Verse number one, he says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, who is the angel? He said, the church have its own private angel? Probably, I, I, maybe, but probably not. Most Bible scholars are agreed that this, this Greek word translated as angel is also translated in your New Testament as messenger. And so sometimes, uh, so a lot of scholars think that this is just a reference to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. So unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he, here's his characteristic, here's Jesus' characteristic, that the church at Ephesus needs to remember, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. So Jesus says, I am the one that hold the seven stars 
in my right hand. Now, immediately, it makes me think, cool, what are those, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and you know what's a really bad habit? Don't do this, people. Sometimes, as soon as we hear that, we start thinking, oh, well, let's speculate. What do you think it is? I got some ideas. What do you think it is? You know, one of the best things in Revelation and throughout the whole Bible to do is if you don't understand a metaphor, go to the Bible to try to figure out what it means. Because, actually, we're told just a couple verses earlier in chapter 1, verse number 20, <coughs> it says... The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. Here it is. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Okay, so, so in other words, he's saying the stars that I'm holding my right hand, it's the same as the angel. Okay, so, so here in this passage, he's now, uh, I hope you're liking this message, because this message says the pastor, he's both an angel and a star. You can double my love offering, okay, just put, make sure you put double whatever you're planning on. You are an angel and a star, according to Revelation chapter 2. And so he says, I'm holding these pastors in my right hand. Which I find that very interesting. I want to be real careful, because... One of the things in our sometimes in our circles we do is we hold up men just because they're a pastor. We hold them up too high, and then we wonder, well, why wasn't he perfect? Hello, you know, <laughs> you aren't either. Um, but you know, also that does tell me this is that the hand, the right hand is a place of honor and respect. And listen, in other words, what he's saying is this: is is Jesus saying, I hold your pastor in a place of importance here? You know, I wonder if this pastor, maybe he was, um, maybe he was noticing things that needed uh, that needs that were out there, and so maybe the pastor was trying to uh, uh, show things. Maybe the people weren't hearing it. Whatever it was, maybe it was just that. Uh, uh, maybe it was uh, the, the people. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. But what he says is, I am the one that holds the pastors of all these churches in my right hand. I'm keeping them. I'm protecting them. Uh, they have a, a place of importance to me. But then he says also, he says, so I'm the one carrying the pastors in my right hand, he says, and also he says, I walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What do you think those are? I don't think. I know. Well, how do you know? Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 20. It says, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Get this picture of Jesus. He says, I'm the one holding the pastors of these seven churches in my right hand. He says, I'm walking in the middle of these seven churches. Jesus says, I'm walking in the midst. It's almost the idea, I can't think of a better way to put it than to say, almost like the idea of an inspector. Have you ever, um, you ever been like me? You ever worked in a place where there was a inspector that came in? Any of you ever worked in um, like uh, food service like I did? How many of you have ever worked in food service before? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you were at work when the health inspector showed up like me? Oh, what a blessing, you know? I've, been in, I've, I've worked in one store where not only did the health inspector come in, but our store paid another company to come in and do the exact same thing, only harsher. And I was like... Why are we paying this guy to like tell us how awful we are? Like it's just the health inspector will give us a great grade, and this guy comes in and says you're you're awful. I'm like we're paying you to do this. What what in the world? Anyway, so get the the idea is this is that here he comes in that he can see through things. You know, you ever notice that the inspector comes and he just like you know you have a, a thing down there that you're not supposed to have, and and you just uh, you're like. I didn't even see that. Oops, were we not supposed to do that? You know, and um, the idea there is that Jesus can see every part of these churches. It's 
not like a, it's not like Jesus is just throwing things in the dark saying, hey, you know, work on some different things depending on what your needs are. No, Jesus is walking the midst. He can see every need of these churches. And so this is his characteristic. He says, I'm the one. I, I, I'm the one walking and I can see the churches through down to the smallest detail. In other words, he says, I can see through churches' hypocrisy. He says, I know when you're for real. And he says, and I know when you're not. So what does he say? Okay, you've seen Christ's characteristic. Let's look at Christ's compliment. One of the things that Jesus does with most of these churches is he compliments them on something. In other words, um, Jesus just didn't just come down with a hard hand and say, you churches, let's, why don't you, why don't you, why are you doing everything wrong? Why don't you get it together? No. What he recognized was that these churches were doing some things right. For example, um, what, what does he compliment? Well, verse number two, Jesus says, I know thy works and thy labor. So he says, I know all about your labor. What's the word labor mean? The word labor means work or toil that reduces your strength. In other words, Jesus was saying, church, I know how hard you work to serve me. And you know what he says to, and apparently, this church at Ephesus must have been a serving church. They must have been an active church. They must have been doing all kinds of things. Like if you, if you were to go in ancient times, in AD 95, if you were to show up to the First Baptist Church of Ephesus, uh, that would be the church. If we could pick it up and put it in modern day. Uh, this would be an active church. Be the one, the church that has, you know, has a choir. It's a church that's got special music going on. It's the church that's got an usher crew and uh, and a sound and uh, you know guys back in the sound booth. It's going to be the church that has parking lot directors and, and a lively junior church and and a song enthusiastic song leader and a, and a visitation program and greeters and uh, maybe uh, some kind of kids program on Wednesday night and an incredible VBS during the summer. If you have youth activities and community service activities and nursing home services and jail ministry and door-to-door -door evangelism, that would be what, that, what the church at Ephesus would look like. And you know what Jesus says to them? Good job. He doesn't criticize them for working hard and serving the Lord. In fact, Jesus compliments them and says, thank you for working so hard. Because you know, obviously, I would assume that all those things I just like read off, you're probably not doing all of those here, but I'm sure some of them are. And some of you pour a lot into those ministries. Some of you pour time, money, energy into children, into children's ministries, and you come out saying, oh, I think my brain is somewhere, you know? You come out and, and you, or you're exhausted and you're tired. Uh, maybe you've done, done some, uh, some door knocking or maybe you spent time with people and you're just exhausted. You know what God says? Thank you. Good job is what our Lord says. He compliments them on it. Then he compliments um, their endurance. He says in verse number um, uh, verse number, where are we at? Verse number, verse number two. He says, I know thy works and thy labor. He says, and thy patience. What the word patience is? It's the word for, oh, I said it already, uh, endurance. In other words, these were not people who quit. When life got hard, they didn't quit. And you know what Jesus says? Good job. Thank you for not quitting when life got hard. Because listen, it's hard enough for a church in the United States to last 50 years. 
and uh, you know, and uh, still be serving the Lord. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, especially back then, in ancient times, where there's hardly any other churches, there's no conferences to go to, and there's not a whole lot of special speaker options, and, and you know, and yet they were still enduring. They didn't give up. Jesus says, "Good job." But they also would not tolerate sin. Verse number two says, "How thou canst not bear them which are evil." The city of Ephesus was very immoral. It's a very ungodly city. It was a city where you could do uh, any wicked thing probably that you could dream up. But the church, the church members here, 50 years down the road, you've got maybe se- you've got second, maybe third generation Christians in the church, and they did not tolerate sin. Now, of course, um, let's give a little latitude. If someone gets saved, okay, if someone gets saved on Sunday, I have to show up on Monday and every and like they're not, you know, like doing everything perfectly. Okay, let's give them a minute, okay? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. You didn't expect your two-day-old to be walking, okay? So uh, so give people time to grow, give people time to change as God as God changes them. But the general nature of this church was they didn't just tolerate sin. They didn't go, oh, well, you're doing this evil thing. I know all about it. Eh, you know, Jesus loves you too. I don't judge. No, they didn't do that. They would have gone to that person and said, hey, this sin in your life is not right. We've got to come back to the Lord. And Jesus says, good job. Thank you. Then he compliments them and says, in verse 2, thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So there were people coming through the coming through the churches, traveling speakers, and they would say, oh, First Baptist Church of, of Ephesus, First Bible Church of Ephesus, we, I am an apostle and I'm here to teach. May I come into your church and teach? And, um, and uh, maybe they invited them in, and uh, after the first service, they knew when the guy was teaching false doctrine. And so they would have pulled him out and said, bye, false teacher, and no love him. You know, <laughs> probably something like that. And so, uh, I mean, they knew their doctrine. You know, back in, especially in, in these Bible times, the new churches were getting pummeled with false teachers. People who were traveling through, who were teaching all kinds of wrong things about the Bible, wrong things about how to know about going to heaven, wrong things about how you can have your sins forgiven. And this church was right on, on knowing, uh, on knowing their doctrine. Folks, I, th- I hope above all that the greatest doctrine that you know is the doctrine of salvation that Jesus can save you from your sins. You know, that was one thing that this church got right. It was a thing that the church has struggled with, but learning, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're here this this morning and maybe you're not sure. If you were to die today, maybe you're not sure of where you will spend eternity. Can I tell you something as has been testified? It is a, it is a blessed thing to have a loved one pass and to know I will see them again. Amen. That is probably the most comforting thing that I have found as loved ones of mine have passed away, to know if they knew Jesus as their Savior, and I do, it'll take a while, but we will see them again. It's a precious thing to know that your sins are forgiven. Do you know that your sins are forgiven? If you were to stand before God right now, would you be, would, for lack of a better way to put it, if you were to stand before God right now, why should He let you into heaven? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? And folks, the only, the only uh, remedy that God has given for our sin problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins does not come through a denomination. 
It does not come through baptism. It does not come through confirmation. It does not come through sacraments. It does not come through communion. It does not come through church attendance, church membership, the amount of money you give, or the pile of good deeds that you have done. The Bible says that forgiveness of sins <coughs> comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because our, our sin... Our sin has a penalty tag attached to it. That penalty price is death. Yes. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And because of that price that's been stuck on our sin, we are headed to, because we're sinners, we are headed towards eternal death. But God loved you and me so much that He stepped out of heaven's perfection and came down to our imperfect earth and died on a cross. And the whole point of dying was to pay your death penalty and my death penalty so that, so that we would not have to spend eternity dying for our sins and, and an eternal hell, but that we could accept Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for our sins. What a, what a kind thing for God to do for people like us. What a precious thing. And this is, a, by the way, if you've never accepted Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for your sins, if you've never done that before, you need to. You absolutely need to. Yes. Your eternity depends on it. Yes. And these, boy, this church, my goodness, they, they were right on, on their doctrine. They knew when there was a false teacher coming in, they named one in verse 6. Uh, it says, but this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We don't know much about the Nicolaitans. There's just conjecture on, on what they might have taught. But whatever these um, false teachers were, they knew who they were, and they kept them out. So Christ uh, compliments them on all these things. Now here we go. Number three, you've seen Christ's characteristic, Christ's compliment. I want you to see now Christ's rebuke. Because in the midst of all these compliments, Jesus says, in verse number four, he says, nevertheless. That is not a good, what is that, is that a conjunction? That is not a good word. Because Jesus says, you know, all these things you're doing are great. However, he says, I have. He says, somewhat against thee. In, in um, uh, English, we would say today, in the, or English today, we'd probably say, nevertheless, there's still something, there's something between us. There's a problem. You know, men, have you ever um, been in a situation where you were, uh, you know, something was wrong between you and your wife, and, and, uh, and you're like, okay, we've got to talk about this. What's going on? What, what have I done? You know, what's, that, what, what's going on? Why aren't things right between us? And, uh, is there, and, he's, and you say, well, am I doing something wrong? And, you know, what happens? The wife says, well, no, I appreciate you so much. You do this for me. You do this and do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and this. And you're thinking, that's right. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. I do all these good things. And then she says, however. You know, us guys like, oh, no. You know, I did all these right things. What's the one thing I did wrong? You know, if she was then to tell you, you know, I appreciate this and this and this and this and this and this you do for me, but I wish you would stop doing this. Guys, can you just maybe, like, just think on this? Would it be smart to say, look, I do all this for you. Lay off that other thing. That's a good way to you know, get shot, okay? <laughs> that's a good way to get shot. So, so you know, I hope we would, uh, especially men, we would know that's not the right thing to say, okay? So if she says, oh, I, I appreciate all these things, but there's this thing that's, but, that I think has come between us, best thing to do is to address it. <clears throat> Figure out what you need to change. Figure out what needs to happen. And Jesus, he's not despising all these things they've done, but he says, there's something between us. 
As I look out here, I don't know all of you that well. And I wonder, you know, this church has been around a while. I remember especially coming six years ago, just, you know, the effort people put into serving the Lord here. I wonder if Jesus would say the same thing. He says, I appreciate you. And all you do, but, however, there's something between us. What does he say it is? Verse 4. What is, the, what is the thing that came between this church and Jesus Christ? He says in verse number 4, Thou hast left thy first love. Six words. That's all it is. That's all we're told. Jesus says, you want to know why we don't have a good relationship? He says, because thou hast left thy first love. Okay, that makes me say, what does that mean? You know, what, what in the world is Jesus saying? Okay, so the word left means to abandon. It's something that has been intentionally left behind. <coughs> and so what has been left behind? He says it is our first love. Okay, well, what, is for, what exactly is this first love? You know, this is, um, I think, the best way to describe this, uh, this little phrase of what it is. I like it best to describe it like this, to call it, Honeymoon love. You know about that? How many of you are or have been married at some point in your life? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Put it high. Put it high. Right? Yeah, you can put it down. All right. Remember the honeymoon love? And you're like, I can't even remember the honeymoon. You know, okay. Uh, but you uh, remember the uh, remember those first days, weeks, maybe it was a year, maybe two years, where people would describe you and your spouse as, well, they are, man, they're just still on their honeymoon. No, and they're just well, they're just still enjoying. Oh my goodness, you know, they're just loving. The, they're just oh, they're just so gross, and they're just loving all the. They're just they're all over each other, loving each other. I, hey, listen, I'm proud to say that when I, that when I got married, oh, we were we were very gross. And guess what? I don't care. <laughs> I didn't care at all. You know why? Because I waited. <laughs> I had waited a long time for um for um someone as great as my wife to come along, and so when she finally did, woohoo! And uh, so I don't really care about what you think. I'm gonna enjoy. I'm gonna enjoy my wife. And so we would be like we would be in um, Sunday school, and there was this one uh, this one teenage girl who uh, this was her thing. Uh, you know, I would you know I would from the pulp, from the from the little podium, I might say something kind of gross, you know, like uh, how much, about how much I love my wife, or I might just walk in and kiss her on the head or kiss her on the lips, or I don't even know. And uh, and this one teenage girl, she'd always go, aww, that. <laughs> You know, and guess what? Guess who didn't care? Right here. I didn't care at all. Because I was just, I enjoyed, be, I enjoyed being with my wife. I just love it. That's honeymoon love where it's just you and your spouse and you do all kinds of things together. You know, it's the time when you, you know, you do anything for your spouse. Um, remember, remember men back in the day when you used to do dishes? What now? I feel protected because I did some dishes last night <laughs> by bringing this one up. But uh, remember when you'd do anything, you'd help, with, uh, you'd help with dishes. You'd rearrange your schedules so that you could just be together as much as you could. You know, that was a big part of those first couple years of marriage is just, we just want to be together as much as we can. I don't care if it's we're doing something boring or if we're doing something fun. Just as long as we can all, just as long as the two of us can be together. We do everything together. We put our, our, stay together as much as we could all the time. That's that picture of honeymoon love. It's openly displayed. You don't care who knows about it. And you just love being together. That's first love. Did you ever notice 
you know, we've been married, hang on. <laughs> yeah, we've been married eight years. We're getting towards nine. Yeah, so we're getting towards nine. And, um, yes, we're getting towards nine. Just wanted to add that twice, okay? You know, um, isn't it amazing how it's not that you hate your spouse, but there's just other stuff that comes up that makes it that, oh, it gets really hard to enjoy and have that much time together. Biggest one for us, children. <laughs> children show up and it's like, hi, I'm needy 24-7. Hello, it's me. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, you love your kids, but, you know, you love your kids and they mean so much to you, but, you know, you're like, my goodness, now I, you feel torn, pulled away from your spouse, feel like, you know, when you finally have some alone time that you need to get everything done that you, you know, you would normally do in like a 16-hour day, you now have two and a half hours to do it in, and so you're like, oh, I got to get my things done, so you don't have as much time, sometimes, you know, work. Uh, changes, maybe you get a job promotion or maybe you get moved from a job, you switch career and work kind of gets in the way. Maybe you have, you have extra friends you know, that you want to spend some time with. Um, you start to develop yourself and, and you get some different hobbies and you enjoy these different things. And these things then, these, some of them really aren't sinful things. They just distract you from that honeymoon first love. You know, maybe, I don't know if you ever had to have, ever had one of these conversations where it's almost like, uh, where maybe as a husband and wife, you've, had, you've um, had to talk to your spouse and said, you know, I mean, I like all that we're doing and all, but I just miss us time. You know, men, if your wife says, I miss us time, what does she mean? She means, I just miss when we're together. Because a lot of that honeymoon love, you notice what it is? Just being together. You don't even have to be doing a whole lot of much. You just have to be together. And so when she says, I just miss us time. You know, that is not the time for you to say, well, you know, we, uh, well, we go to this together. We go to the church together. We go, we go uh, do this activity together. We go out with the kids over here. We're together. <laughs> it's not going to go well, guys, if we say that. And you know, that's kind of what Jesus was doing here. He's saying, church, I appreciate all you do for me, but I miss us time. I'm definitely not criticizing all the things you do to serve me, the money you give, effort you make, the ways you serve, but Jesus says, I miss us time. When the most wonderful thing that you had was just us, the two of us, Jesus says, Christian and, and, and God, together, <clears throat> enjoying one another. Jesus says, in spite of all these good things, I wish you'd come back that we could enjoy first love again. You know, isn't it amazing that we could be doing good things for God Yet him be disappointed because we no longer have time for him. I mean, think about, again, here we go again. Think back to your marriage. There's plenty of good things you can do for your spouse that they appreciate. But you know, if you end up, all you ever do is just doing things for your spouse, but you never spend time with your spouse, the relationship gets dry, boring, stale, 
Folks, that's often what happens with our relationships with God. Because other things drive out the honeymoon love. What, what drives out the honeymoon love, the first love for Jesus? It can be, can be earthly things. We've talked a lot about those. It could be hobbies. No one's saying you can't have a hobby. But you know, I wonder if, um, you might say, well, God's given me this talent. And I wonder if Jesus is saying, and I wish I had it back. Now, I'm not trying to sound trite or, or blasphemous or anything like that. But I wonder if God looks at us and says, my goodness, what a waste of a talent. Because all you do is spend it on you instead of making, to- making sure you take time for me too. Um, hobbies, work, just, just ordinary daily activities. You know, sometimes we get ourselves busy. Just get ourselves so busy that Jesus says, hey, um, can we spend time together? Can we have a little bit of fellowship together where uh, you read my Bible and you pray and we talk with each other that way? Sometimes it's earthly things. Sometimes it's sinful things. Sometimes it's uh, we've got bitterness against someone else here in this, in, on, in this church or in your family uh, and that bitterness has been welling up. Maybe there's pride or gossip or lust. Maybe there's idolatry or anger, laziness, a critical spirit. All kinds of things that maybe these things are, are there and they drive out that honeymoon love that you have for Jesus Christ. These things drive it out. And so Jesus says, that was love by first love. So he says, what can you do to get back to that first love. Verse 5 he tells us and says, Remember therefore. He gives three things. One he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. In other words, he's not saying, Remember like you fell from your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Remember back. You know, because where, where they had fallen was, they had, a, they had a fervent honeymoon first love for Jesus and they'd fallen away from that. And so he says, Remember where you fell from. He says, remember the days, don't not, remember the good old days when our church was just thriving, we had this many people, we had this many ministries, no, no, no. He says, remember when you used to spend time with me, and when we used to pray, and when we used to fellowship, when we used to be in our Bibles together, when you used to talk about me, when you used to, that, that everything was about me, you, and that I was on open display, you didn't care who knew that you had a relationship with Jesus, you spent time with me, he says, remember that. Then he says in verse 5, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Listen, church. Jesus says that if you have abandoned that first love, honeymoon love for Jesus, where I'm not saying that you have to be all, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I just love Jesus all the time. You don't have to be weird about it. And again, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or trite. I'm trying to get, get our attention. Because uh, sometimes we, we look at this and we say, well, you know, uh, if we have been abandoning that for so long, you know what Jesus says? You need to repent. He tells a church that is right doctrinally and a church that is serving him with all their hearts, he says, you need to repent. You know, if, um, if a relationship with God has kind of been on the back burner and not been the most important thing in your life, you know what God says? You don't need to just change some habits. You need to repent. Can we go back to marriage again? If your if your spouse was to say, I just you know, especially guys, your wife was to say, I just really wish we had more me, uh, more us time together, and you said, Well, I'll see what I can work on. Wrong answer. What's a good answer? Say, 
I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I just didn't even realize it's happening, and I'm sorry. I want to fix it. Let's, let's see how we can fix this. You know, they go a whole lot further than just saying, well, well, we'll figure it out. You know what Jesus wants from us? He wants to just say, I'm sorry I put you and me on such a back burner. He says, repent. And then he says, and, um, and do the first works. Repeat. Go back to the first works, which was when they first got saved, you know, they weren't doing you know, nursing home ministries. When they first got saved, what were they doing? They were earnestly reading their Bibles, pray, whatever portions of the Bible they had, praying, attending church, talking with fellow Christians, spending time with Christians, getting under as much teaching of the Word of God as they possibly could. He says, go back. So remember, repent, and repeat the first works. He says in verse 5, or else. Folks, Jesus is not kidding when he says, I want us time again. Because he says, you need to get, repent, and come back to making me first in everything, he says, or else. Or else what? Jesus says, or else, I will come quickly, come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the candlestick? The church. So Jesus says, I appreciate all the work you're doing for me. I appreciate how you're serving me, reaching out to your community. But he says, if we don't have us time, Jesus says, I will get rid of your church. That is serious. You say, but we're reaching all these people. Isn't it amazing that in the, in the midst of reaching new people, if the people reaching the new, if the old people reaching the new people, I don't say old like age, but the people who have been, or know the Lord, are trying to reach the new people, but if the old people that know the Lord for such a longer time aren't going to be close to the Lord anymore, Jesus says, I'd rather just shut down your church. Would God do that? <laughs> yeah. You know why? Church of Ephesus is gone. I don't know <clears throat> exactly how long it's how long it was up, but uh, you know you can go to lots of cities now and visit different things and ancient cities and see ruins of places and other just and see some edifices that are still up. But you won't find the church at Ephesus. You won't find a building there or wherever their location was because apparently they were getting kind of big. And um, God removed their church. So he says, I'll remove thy candlestick, except thou repent. So he says, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Folks, I'm not in any kind of a threat. I'm not trying to make any kind of threats. I don't know the inner workings of what's going on in the church, but I do know this. I've been around enough, and in my own churches, it's very easy to start serving God and then forget about your relationship with Him. Maybe God's pointed out that that's that you've got to get back to what it was supposed to be. Let's let's get back to that. Jesus Amen. wants us time, Amen. you and Him above all else. If that has been abandoned, folks, we can't talk about. How we're going to reach the community? I got uh, you know of uh, uh, prayer. We can't talk about prayer. We can't talk about how to deal with trials. We can't talk about those things in revival meetings until we first deal with having left our first love. So if God's spoken to you. 
Let's, cut, let's get this clean with God here this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us come back 